Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. What about a worm? They're brilliant on track, aren't they? I mean, they're, it's name. Hello, it's that time. Uh, it's Will Young, it's the Wellbeing Lab, and it's our sex special. I feel a little bit like maybe years ago, Channel 4 did like a sort of late night special, and, there was, and it was particularly orientated at that time towards gay movies, and I was shocked and also delighted. That's what we're doing. It's a red light special. It's Hollyoaks when they go red light, you know. It's that big. But actually, I want to talk about sex because often people don't talk about it enough. So we're going to talk about sex addiction and then later on we're going to talk about loss of sex drive. My first guest is Marion O'Connor. She's a psychosexual and relationships therapist and head of psychosexual training at Tavistock Relationships. We talk about the role that porn plays in sexual compulsivity, what leads people to become addicted to sex or porn. We talk about homosexual relationships and sex. There's a lot in this interview. Do you think we potentially live in a society where everything is sexualized? So we've sort of lost that specialness, for want of a better word, of what sexuality can be, what our sexualities can be. Well, that's quite interesting. I think that it is true that, and this, this ties in with sexual compulsivity, that instead of it being a journey to find out what your sexual fantasies or your the way you want to explore sex could be, which is traditionally a sort of long drawn out journey through early adolescence, looking at pictures or talking or just exploring your own body. A lot of young boys in particular, it's worth saying, but girls too, are exposed to excessive, if we call it, sexuality on the internet. And that can sort of damage their ordinary journey. By the time they get to have a real relationship with a real person, it, it feels quite tame, real sex. Just an ordinary person's skin, ordinary intercourse of one sort or another, ordinary touching and pleasure cannot feel as excessive as all they expect it to be. When I'm talking about the excess of sexuality, I mean just ordinary excess beyond yeah. beyond the mundane, just a yeah. you know, stroking, touching, an orgasm, nothing or a fantasy. Whereas um people can get exposed very early on to quite high levels of excitement and intrusion on their normal journey into their sexual exploration. Uh, which can have damaging, really be damaging later on. They might find that it's quite hard to really feel anything when they actually meet somebody. It's just not enough. It's not what they want. They, it doesn't give them enough excitement or they can compulsively turn to 
the porn when they they know it gives them a sense of excitement beyond the normal, the mundane. Yeah, and so yeah. instead, when they feel a bit low or depressed or anxious, it's an easy fix and it can become quite compulsive. It's almost like they don't, some of them won't have learned other soothing mechanisms for dealing with, you know, a sense of loneliness. I've got the night in, I've got, what am I going to do with myself? It can just be a habit that they turn to and be damaging if it gets in the way of ordinary relationships, as, a, as I've seen, can be really damaging for some people. And would you say, I mean, certainly I had problems with pornography and I would do exactly as I heard you describe, you know, if I was lonely, I didn't know how to soothe in other ways. And it was so readily available, you know, on my phone, once I could sort of see it on my phone. And it did affect my sex life as well, because I don't, I've heard that it can do things to the receptors in the brain, but when I would then have sex with someone, it wasn't as fun, yeah. you know? Under the banner of sexual compulsivity, would you include pornography under that banner, as well as people who have problems with sex and are meeting people in the flesh? Yeah, I think it, it all comes with the same thing. There is, it, it's almost like the wanting the dopamine of wanting, of going out and getting it, more porn, more sexual um, encounters, gets active and needs more and more to activate the normal level of dopamine in the brain. But you don't get the oxytocin, the soothing, the pleasure. You don't get the pleasure. You get the desire and the wanting. And the touching, stroking, slowly, all that pleasuring isn't the focus it's I've got to mm. go for the big hit I've got to go for the orgasm I've got to go for another image another high excitement it's all at a high level so that mm. just kissing and stroking and the usual pleasuring activities just don't don't get a look in and it, in the end also it doesn't leave you feeling ah oh, that was nice that sort of sense of, oh, I've had something good, I feel good, I feel warm, I feel connected. Uh, it can often make you feel uh, bad about yourself, guilty. doesn't give that warm feeling of pleasure. Uh, I mean, I can definitely relate to that. And, and I, I, I suppose that makes me think of the first hurdle would be for people to, to voice that they recognise that they might have a problem with sexual compulsivity because because of the shame and guilt that might come with it. So I would imagine, I mean, that's quite a hurdle to get over to begin with, mm. to, get, I, to get in front of you, you know? Well, there are two reasons why people come to seek help. One is it's been found out that um, maybe they are seeking sexual encounters that their partner doesn't know about and has found that's been happening a lot or the partner may have found their porn sites, or it might be found out at work that something happens where they're found out, discovered. And the other one is when they realise that they're with a partner and they can't enjoy sex anymore. They think, well, I could have sex with my partner, but you know something? I'd rather sort of Don't do get, get to that. the computer. Yeah, I'd rather, mm. I'd rather the laptop than my partner. They have nothing to offer me. And that's quite worrying for 
people when they realize they've got to that and you know and it's quite painful because they'll they'll be with someone trying to connect and they might love that person but they just it just feels empty compared to what lies on the computer how do you help people through that situation i suppose one of the things to find out when it started and what the cause is first of all it's about a relationship with the therapist some people come occasionally they've they're being found out by their partner who says i found out that you're going to all these um, sex parties or whatever you're doing you've got to stop it and i'm they sending may... you to marion send it yeah but they may be people who aren't really capable of relating you know they may come and just see me as someone a sort of i'm almost a quick fix too i'll tell my often it's my wife i'll tell my wife i've come so she'll she'll get off my back and there's no real sense of trying no to want to... there's no desire to really change they've that's got a real true. problem in relating you say you know it might be difficult for your wife or yeah 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 that's why i'm here just um how many sessions will it be you know wow. i just basically i just want to shut her up there's no sense of looking at why and how can I make this better? Whereas most people who come do feel a sense of shame and guilt. They um, had never intended to get addicted to whatever it is they're addicted to. And and they, the shame is not so much like these days people don't feel so much shame at losing, at using porn. The shame is uh, the inability to stop the mm. the the compulsivity the the they never thought they'd be somebody who'd be so drawn to it that they can't stop even though it's damaging their lives in some way i think partly it's finding out you know what happened why mm. i think why why they started because lots of people use porn but most people don't become addicted so what 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 happened to them one is the sort of early template this thing that something got destroyed when they were very young, that they were overexposed to it. And then you might find out a story about someone who maybe was a bright, I'm just talking about boys now, maybe a bright boy whose parents just assumed could almost look after themselves. I've got two sons, one needs a lot of care and attention and you'll be fine off in the room by yourself uh, doing whatever. And... Um, the, the child might feel quite lonely and turn to porn as a, there's the easy access and then it can be something that soothes them and gives them a high. So you get children who aren't exactly neglected in, in our traditional sense of the word, but are neglected in that their parents aren't really seeing them as young people who need nurturing and caring for, checking in on them. I'm talking about children as young as 9, 10, 11, hmm. 12. Well, I mean, I make up a, a emotional neglect. Yeah, 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 it is. It's an emotional neglect, although they may be well-loved mm. in, in the sense and the parents will love them and care for them. They will forget that this is a very young child. They may be preoccupied with their own work or they may see, oh, my child's so bright, he can... Um, you know, write essays all day on his computer. No, go and check, see what he's doing. He may <laughs> yeah. feel neglected. He may feel there's no time for him. 
that there's too much preoccupation with the other child who isn't so bright or whatever's happening mm. in the family. So there is neglect. There's neglect. And the child may well turn to porn in a rather compulsive way to soothe them because they're not getting enough care and attention from their parents. So it's something that could have happened from a young age yeah. that then they've gone back to as an adult or continued. Well, they may well have continued. People mm. find... Th this, of course, is quite recent because 30 years ago, this wouldn't have been... Obviously, there were no children brought up on porn in quite the same way. But, yeah, it can continue and people find they, they take their laptops to university with them, they keep using it, and it takes some time for them to realise they've got a problem, that they find themselves using it. Anytime anything goes at all wrong or they've got five minutes to themselves, they find themselves using this quite compulsively and it stops them exploring relationships. It can mean that they feel quite shut down. But everyone has their own story about how they start, yeah. having said that. I'm just yeah. saying that not everyone who uses porn uses it compulsively. But I do feel strongly about children being monitored. Of course they're going to look and see. I mean, you can't stop them looking. But on their own, in the room, using it every night, parents should be observing this. I mean, I 100% agree. Is sexual compulsivity something that is that um, someone who identifies as a man is more likely to do than, than a woman? I've certainly seen that in my job, that most of the men with the problem with it, I think women may well have a problem with compulsivity, often eating or other self-soothing mechanisms, but it seems to be with a man, the sexual compulsivity happens more often. I think partly it's just for a man, you know, for boys going into puberty, they clearly got a penis that does things, you know, gets yeah. erect and doesn't, whereas women's sexuality does need to be a bit more discovered by them. It's not out there in the same way. I presume that people can come out of the com compulsive behaviour as well, that you help people. I mean, it must be difficult. Yeah, I think the compulsive hate behaviour, one of the things they have to want to change it, they have to be willing to not use the um, whatever it is, you know, the sex chat lines or the porn videos on the, on the web. They have to be willing to really cut it down and they have to also try to use their imagination. Sometimes people have never used their imagination to masturbate. It's, mm. They need these images which are quite dangerous for them for a lot of people, they are. A lot of people say, oh, I, I watch a bit of porn that helps me get to sleep. You know, that is, not, that is not an addiction. So being able to use your own sexual fantasies, perhaps encouraging people to use, you know, pictures rather than, than the web. Just keep away from the internet that's going to keep leading you down the ha by the hand mm. into more and more and more. And I suppose people, if they're meeting up with others... You know, if, it, if it's not pornography and it's based in the physical. I think of the world for gay men and how I feel like sexualization of things and I feel like 
for gay men that the water the waters are, are even muddier mm. do you have any thoughts on gay men do you is there a difference do you see have you noticed a difference well i think that it depends it is true that gay sexuality can be expressed in a different way and it might be okay you know in your particular relationship in your particular life it may be that it's okay to go on this hookup and see if anyone's there in itself that can be okay but then it can become quite compulsive and it's particularly difficult if you're in a relationship with someone and you're lying to them it can become very secretive very compulsive it's got exactly the same things and people have to people come to me when they can't stop it not when they're hey we're just enjoying it you could say one of the things about being gay is that you are or have traditionally been out of society so of course you're going to Mm. challenge society's Mm. norms and experiment with different ways of living because apart from anything else the doors were closed for so long i mean it's a really good point and and you're completely right and we'll end on this but i don't know if i asked you what would determine addictive behavior or compulsive behavior there's usually a sense of shame often if you found out that you're doing something wrong it, it it doesn't feel just satisfying it feels wrong and bad um to yourself you feel out of control you may be doing it in dangerous situations at work at places that could cause you harm so there's the the harm or cause somebody else harm and even though you know it's going to cause harm to yourself your relationship or your work you can't stop it it feels more important to do this thing than to keep yourself safe so you soothe yourself in quite negative ways in that sense with a lot of fear and terror that you could be found out or something bad could happen but it's certainly not ultimately just somebody who's having a lot of sex and having fun it feels quite compromised by some fear some shame and some harm marion it's been an absolute pleasure um i could talk to you forever until the next time thank you okay bye thank you if you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural looking results was through surgery think again juvederm volux xc is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural looking results with little downtime even better this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment no maintenance required improve jawline definition for a smooth sculpted look with juvederm volux xc for important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. 
That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Well, I thought there was a lot of content in that. I thought Marion was very interesting. As ever, let me know what you think. Yeah, fascinating. Um, the next person that I talked to is Dr. Amani Zarug. She's a clinical psychologist and relationship and psychosexual therapist. We talk about mismatched desire, healthy empowerment in the sexual relationship and how to raise issues with sex in a healthy way. She's a very cool person. Here is my first question to Dr. Amani. So I really wanted to talk about psychosexual therapy and relational therapy and something that I experienced and we had a conversation before this mm-hmm. interview and, I, and I, I think it's important for the listeners to know that because very appropriately you wanted to speak to me and check, you know, sort of about my history and where I was and my support, which I really, you know, really appreciated. So it allowed me to feel very safe in sharing. So thank you. Um, and you know already that I, I had a relationship. Never happened to me before. Mm. Um, when I, he, he was just a, a brilliant, brilliant man. We're still great friends. And uh, I just lost my sort of sex drive completely. And it was so unusual for me. I have heard of the term sexual anorexia before, which to me feels like quite a punchy term. Mm. But I certainly experienced a lack of sex drive or, or wanting to be sexually intimate with a partner. Um, and I didn't understand it really fully, um, but I was going through a lot of PTSD at the time. Um, so that's why I really wanted to talk about it. And mm-hmm. do couple do you come across that a lot when you when you do psychosexual therapy? Mismatched desire, so people who have different libidos, is one of the most common things I see with people who want couples who want to talk about their sex life. I wouldn't necessarily call it sexual anorexia. I might define it in in a different way, but that is by far one of the most common complaints that that a couple might have with regard to their sex life and not necessarily with regard to their relationship. They might have a fantastic relationship, but Mm. just have different appetites. And is that... Because certainly for me it was... I actually was with someone for the first time who had stable attachment um, and I found that maybe a bit too scary um, and I didn't know my sexual intimacy before I don't think really was intimacy in fact I'd had a relationship when you know I thought the sex was wonderful but actually I had no emotional mm. intimacy with the person um, so we only really connected during sex and I don't even think it was proper intimate sex do you explore sort of the reasons maybe behind it? Is it as simple as someone has a lower libido and someone might have a higher libido? You know, libido doesn't exist uh, outside of the relationship. So the environment that you come with, so whatever, however you feel in the relationship, that's often going to impact your sexual desire. And sometimes people don't kind of do the math around that and they just think oh all of a sudden i'm not i'm not into it but they're not maybe exploring what are the reasons around that within the relationship 
So sometimes it can be uh, like a power dynamic in, in a relationship. Um, and sex is an area where a lot of people feel that they can exert some control around their body. Obviously, you're kind of allowing someone into your space, literally. And um, so having that area guarded and protected feels very important, especially if you don't have other areas where you feel you know, empowered in a relationship, if that makes sense. Oh, no, that's really now. That's really interesting. So, so someone might not feel. So, would be building up the empowerment for someone within the relationship can help then for sexual relations. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. It, it, again, you know, it all comes down to communication and being able to just speak your truth. So. If you, if you want to keep the peace in a relationship and you're suppressing your emotions a lot or kind of, you know, keeping, making, it, making it everything okay, keep making it smooth, and a lot of your needs are going unrecognized, then, then it, it has another impact on the relationship. It impacts on the relationship in a, in a different area that you might not be kind of necessarily conscious of. And what happens is your body starts to speak for you. Mm, which is the ultimate thing to listen to, I think. Absolutely. I mean, that, that's the thing. When you support any emotion, regardless, even if it's not sexual, even if it's anxiety, whatever it is, if you suppress it long enough, your body is a fantastic indicator that says, hey, I don't care what you're, what you're doing emotionally. I'm going to make you pay attention. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yes, I really, I really relate to that. I'm like, well, come on, I just want to do this kind of thing. My body would be like... No. We ain't doing it. No. There's a problem here. Yeah, exactly. And could you perhaps um, talk a bit more about what empowerment in a relationship is? Because someone might think power, oh, I'm dominating. Mm. But actually, what is sort of health, a healthy mm. sense of empowerment in a, in a relationship? Mm. I think, you know, this is, this is a term that a lot of people would define in different ways. But for me, it's about firstly being able to self-reflect and knowing how you're feeling and what you're thinking and where your boundaries are and what's okay for you and then being able to communicate that and feel respected and heard so it's not about kind of exert exerting yourself or forcing anyone but it's simply about being able to remain uh true to yourself and stable in that and not kind of uh at the same time, you know, you can be flexible, but not so flexible that it feels like you're compromising uh, yeah. to, to a degree that feels, you know, um, that, that you wouldn't accept for a friend, for example. Yes. Yes, that makes sense. And I always think one of the most amazing things and crucial things is to feel heard. Yeah, absolutely. Because then one, one feels, well, certainly for myself, I can feel respected. Um, validated yeah. um, and safer actually absolutely and, and it's so important even if even if you being heard doesn't resolve the situation like if mm. you have a conflict it's okay for you to have different opinions but the fact that you feel understood you know is, is really it's really validating what other sort of common occurrences might be going on within a relationship when 
people have a, a differing libido and it can be creating discomfort or, or a problem in the relationship? I think often what I tend to hear from, from my clients is that, you know, in the beginning of our relationship, the sex was great. You know, we, we were ha- having a lot of sex and the quality of it was fantastic. And I tend to focus a lot on quality rather than quantity. Um, and then they say, you know, after six months or whatever it was, I started to avoid and I wasn't feeling it. And now we're at a stage where anytime my partner touches me, I kind of recoil because I'm worried that they, that it might lead to them wanting sex, and so I'm avoiding. And so what tends to happen is then there's a lack of affection, no kissing. There may be some hugging and cuddling, but it's very kind of friendly, right? And, and then there's a, a dynamic of being a gatekeeper in a way. Mm. Um, and it's uncomfortable for both. It's it's not it's not that you know the person who doesn't want to have sex. It's not that they're enjoying this. In fact, often they're kind of saying, "I don't really understand this." You know, I I want to want to be with you sexually, and I don't understand why I don't. And it's confusing. And so, when it's confusing for them, it's obviously also very confusing for the partner. You know, who feels like, okay, fine, I have to just sit here and, and take it. And there can be so many reasons. I mean, obviously, trauma is, is one. Previous trauma, uh, as, as I said, any kind of power imbalance, um, not feeling heard. Also, feelings of, sometimes it can be a quality issue. Like, for example, if sex if the experience of having sex is very transactional or matter-of-fact, or your reasons for wanting sex are different from your partner's reasons, then there can be, a, there, then can, there can be another mismatch. So for some people, sex is about connection. It's about emotional uh, intimacy. For others, it's about stress relief. You know, it's just very, it's a matter-of-fact kind of hunger that needs to be satisfied and it's over so if your reasons aren't congruent then you can have misunderstandings that lead to you kind of then deciding you know what i don't want this because the quality it feels it doesn't feel like i'm getting what i want out of it if that makes sense yeah it does and that's really interesting hearing about stress relief because i certainly i'm in my relationship with sex i think has quite often it, I have used it as an avoidant to uncomfortable feelings. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it really is a stress relief. Um, can someone healthily use it as a stress relief, if that makes sense? I'm, I, I really believe that if two people know what they're doing and what they're getting into and both of them feel like, yeah, we understand what this is, then all of those reasons are fine if it's a stress relief if it's a one-off it's a two if it's a two i just believe that as long as you're both communicating and you understand the other one's intentions and you're consenting Mm. and you're happy with it then go for it well once it's brought up the subjects of sex once it's brought up as a problem if i went to see a therapist how could i ever get it back to seeming natural and Mm. you know 
beautiful and sometimes impulsive and um, because surely I always thought god it would just become like the elephant in the room and it would feel so scientific and Mm. is that something that people can worry about that once it's brought up how will we ever get back to being because there will be people listening that are in this situation you know what I mean yeah absolutely and and there's usually um, usually one person who wants the therapy more than the other one who's kind of reluctant and worries worrying when you go into therapy is so so common i mean it's it it is anxiety provoking to to walk into a therapist's office and kind of confront your issues and maybe have your demons dug up and you know you have to face them um but i think that specific concern you know about it's going to feel clinical and and it's not going to feel natural. The way that I get around that is firstly, you know, when I'm working with some with a couple, let's say through what I call a psychosexual program, I put them on a specific behavioral program where we work through exercises. Initially, they have to agree to a sex ban. And I know that that sounds really counterintuitive, but what I'm doing is helping them break any association, any negative association that they already have with sex, and then create a new one, like where you're going back to basics, almost like being a teenager again, discovering your own body. And it's all based in kind of mindfulness and sensuality rather than sexuality. And so you're really working from the ground up and getting to know, getting to kind of explore and experiment and be playful, you know, in a way that's really boundaried. So because you know it's not going to lead to sex, you're free to really immerse yourself in the experience. Oh, I, I mean, it's interesting, actually, as I was hearing you before you said playful, it, it felt playful and it felt safe sensual it's about sensual not sexual is that what you absolutely yeah yeah and that's such an can you talk a bit more about that because that's such an interesting differentiation yeah absolutely so what I ask people to do is firstly get very knowledgeable about their own body get curious about their own body and what they like in terms of their own touch and get familiar with that and then later on when you're touching your partner it's kind of firstly i ask them to completely avoid genitals and simply think about what it is you're thinking and feeling regardless of if you're being touched or doing the touching so it's all about what's happening for you so then it becomes you being aware of your own senses rather than trying to make someone feel anything that's a very different thing, isn't it? It's very different. And also it becomes no longer performative. You're not performing for anyone. And we, we often, well, sometimes people get into that mode of like, I want to do this for you. When we think of sex, it's like, I, am, I want your pleasure, which is fantastic. And also you want your own. But at the same time, it's like, you know what? I need to connect with myself first. And mm. then from this position, I can be in my body And when I'm in my body, there may be any sensation, including one that's sexual, but not necessarily that. So I need to be aware of all my senses. So I need to feel temperature. I need to feel texture. I need to feel skin to skin contact. What does that do to me? You know, so it becomes more about all of your senses rather than just you being a sexual object. 
and it feels very respectful yeah, yeah. To, to oneself that's it yeah absolutely. and so to, to the relationship as well yeah because it can be it's such a beautiful thing sex I feel I wonder if we have a healthy relationship with sex mm. I mean it, it, do you think could there be better education or mm. do, how do you feel about how us in the west see see mm. sex it's a very big question. It's a it's a big question. It's a fantastic question. You know, I, I think I do think things are changing, but I really wish that at school, you know, when we when we have sex education, we could learn about the emotional context. We could learn to respect our bodies. We could learn to respect each other. We could think about what are the dynamics at play when we when we want to kind of explore ourselves and other people. How can we stay safe? How can we do this in a way that doesn't feel kind of, it feels exposing in the right way rather than exposing in the wrong way? Um, I really wish we could have that kind of a conversation um, in sex ed, not just kind of, this is how you avoid pregnancy. Yes. (laughs) Do you think, it's almost like we're sort of slightly still a bit Victorian about it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if you think about the school system at large, it, it is, and and, and a yeah. lot of you know, it's that, it, that is what it is. But I, yes. I do I do think that slowly things are changing, and there's lots of great things that are happening to move us along um, in different ways. I think, and social media can help a lot with that. Yes, I wonder if there's different cultures have different uh, approaches. Like, it's just, do the Americans have a different? approach or do the South Americans have different approaches? Yeah, absolutely. Culture plays a huge part in it. I, I grew up in a very strict Muslim household. And so even even what I do for a living is kind of um, seen, well, it's seen differently than it is in the Western world where I work. Um, so culture definitely has, has a lot to play play. But I think I think still that the way that you feel more empowered in, in that way that I described, you know, that, that formula, if, if you will, um, is yeah. still the same. So it's still kind of taking a chance with your vulnerability and receiving acceptance at the end. Yes. I mean, it's been amazing to talk to you. And you. I've really enjoyed talking with you. Dr. Amani and Marion, I mean, to... Again, very interesting guest. Dear listener, there's a lot of <laughs> there's a lot of noise going on at Will Young slash Wellbeing Lab HQ. The alarm has been going on for so long now, uh, the fire alarm that's running low on batteries, that I don't even notice it. And the people are mentioning it, and I'm like, oh yeah, it's still there. Domino has decided to lie not on the expensive dog bed that I have him, but on my yoga mat. So that's nice. And he's snoring. What else has been going on? I've been doing some painting. I've started painting my garden fences and my garden walls. I'm beyond excited about this. I literally, I can't tell you how much pleasure I get from it. And more importantly, you've been in touch. And I thank you for it. Um, Hey, Will and team, can I please just tell you how much I'm enjoying the podcast? Thank you. I listen to it every week on a walk. And not only is it an excellent walking partner, but it is also brilliantly funny, informative and soul-searching all at the same time. Well... That is what I'd like the epitaph to be. As someone who has had a trauma-filled life, I can relate to many of the topics covered so far. 
and was just wondering if you were going to do an episode on bereavement as part of the series. Yes, I like these suggestions because we need more of them. Um, it's going to go on the list. Rejection, fear of or actual would also be a good one to cover. Oh, you're on fire. My daughter, who's never met or even spoken to her father, has been so badly affected. It led to a downward spiral of depression, anxiety, drug addiction, alcoholism, sex work and overspending, which culminated in a suicide attempt. And I didn't even see it coming. She was eventually diagnosed with BPD and is on the road to recovery. But it's a narrow and unstable pathway. So I live a life in alert mode, always waiting for the next slip. Um, well, thank you, by the way, for being so honest and open. My third suggestion would be an episode on resilience. Listen, you're the gift that keeps on giving. Um, I hope those suggestions are helpful. Thank you again. Thank you. That was very helpful. And thank you for being so open. I really appreciate it. By the way, just to let you know, I don't mention people's names. I've made that sort of decision. Even if you were comfortable with it, I just think it's a better blanket thing to do. So that's why I don't mention your names. Um, this person says, workplace relationships was such a great theme for discussion. I always say to keep your circle close for advice with people who love you unconditionally and accept you as you are. And of course, mentors in life you respect. Very good. Very good advice. Another person from email. Hi, Will. This is something I've never told anyone before, but I believe I have a genuine problem with sex addiction and porn. In my relationship, I struggle to find the boundaries between real life and porn. It's just so easily accessible. I can find myself looking at porn and talking to other people online, even while at work. And it's really starting to become an issue. I spoke with a therapist last week and it was such a life-changing experience. Well done! I broke down for a good hour after we finished talking. I know one day I'll be able to get over this. But I wonder if this is something that any of our other listeners have experienced before. I'm not sure what the solution is, but I know there's a light at the end of the tunnel. Well, I had a porn addiction and I got over it. So I can tell you from first-hand experience. And why did I do it? It was a way for me of avoiding painful feelings. One of the important things for me was to get rid of the shame of it because addiction is using things to avoid painful feelings. And stupidly, we sort of rank them in different orders of shame, um, which is so silly. I don't shame myself and, and learn not to shame myself for it. And I would really suggest to work on that for the same. Because, you know, some people use shopping, some people use cleaning, some people use so many different things. Thank you. And I'm so pleased and excited for you on your recovery from this. It's brilliant. Over 50% of it's recognising that you have a problem. Well done. And someone from Instagram. Hi, Will, on your subjects of sex issues, Anxiety medicine stole my ability to orgasm. Yes, now that I have experienced that, that it took me a lot longer to ejaculate, if I may say. And I know uh, other people that that's happened to, that they can't orgasm. It takes them a long, long time. Very, very difficult. As ever, thank you for getting in touch. And what a, um, what a varied group of messages, people sharing. Now, this makes me very happy because I make up then that, that people are, are feeling safe to share. And it is a safe space and it, it, you know hopefully we can start building you know a community with no judgment and I always say you know check into how it feels to share because the thing with well things like addictions and other stuff is it can become a disease of isolation and we don't want to share this is a space where you can you know just send a message and see how you feel afterwards um as ever you can get in touch Instagram and Facebook at the Wellbeing Lab Podcast. Twitter at the Wellbeing Lab. Email hello at wellbeinglabpodcast.com. Keep on emailing suggestions as well of topics. We're here to serve. Uh, next week, it's insomnia. Oh, it's a good one because I get insomnia. 
I mean, have I suffered from everything, every topic that we cover on this podcast? Very possibly. Um, insomnia, it's fascinating, actually, with Dr. Hugh Selsic. And, I mean, another one, and breathing with James Nestor. I feel it's a bit of a coup, actually, to get him, because he's, he's sold about a billion, billion books. In fact, both of them, very, very good, strong episode. Take care of yourself. Will I try and disable the fire alarm and change the battery? It's a, it hangs in the balance, listener. Will Domino eat the remains of my meal for a third day running? I think probably. Have a good week. See you soon. Goodbye. I feel like I should say again, I have a book out. I think it's good. It's an A to Z of wellbeing. It's called Be Yourself and Happier. A lot of very simple explanations on a lot of well, I suppose some of them are quite complex things. I think there's an audio version as well if you want more of my dulcet tones. For now, thank you. I will see you soon. Goodbye. Did you know the Wellbeing Lab is produced by Audio AF and is part of the Acast Creator Network? It's true. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.